Hello and welcome to Positive Mental Attitude, a podcast about the positive aspects of mental health. I'm Juliette Burton. I'm a comedian, a speaker, a writer and proud owner of multiple state-of-the-art mental illnesses. I'm not ashamed of my mental health conditions and nor should you be. Feel free to be ashamed about other things in your life if you feel like you need to, but not mental health. Now, I've been diagnosed with the following, uh, anorexia, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, bulimia, bipolar disorder, it's worth saying twice because it's got two parts, compulsive overeating disorder, depression, psychotic hallucinations, and OCD, that's obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, If I felt ashamed about all of those, I just wouldn't have time to breathe. So mental illnesses can be challenging, of course, but we shouldn't be going out of our way to make it more unpleasant. So let's get positive. In this podcast, we focus on the solutions and the positive aspects of mental illness. So welcome. Now, the Positive Mental Attitude podcast is only possible thanks to our sponsor, Stagecoach Group. If you find taxis expensive, driving stressful and walking as boring as we all secretly know it is, then you'll love Stagecoach trains and buses. Please note that trains are only available where rails are present. Do not wait at a bus stop waiting for a train. The wait will likely be indefinite. Now, joining me in this episode is Laura Lex, an award-winning comedian (laughs) whose recent show, Trying, explored her own mental health and was highly praised by critics and made lots of us other comedians very jealous because it is a brilliant show. Laura, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, uh, I know my description there of your last show, Trying, was obviously amazing. (laughs) It was Um, very good. Thank you very much. I don't take praise now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, my therapist says that the best way to take praise is to just say thank you yes. and nothing else. And not to say, yes, I've been very lucky to say, no, I worked really hard yes. and that's why I got it. No, it, was, it wasn't luck. Uh, but <laughs> we know each other from, from days of yore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, uh, we are both comedians. Um, I did see your show up in Edinburgh. Can you please explain to the lovely listeners who may not have seen it themselves uh, what it was about? So it's... About the latest episode, I suppose, in my mental health journey, which was uh, trying for a baby or starting to try for a baby, getting myself into that headspace and finding myself, instead of being pregnant, in the grips of the worst breakdown I've had to date. I had what was described to me by my therapist as postnatal depression without the baby. So I never, never actually managed to get pregnant, still not pregnant, um, but had the same anxieties as somebody suffering from postnatal depression might have. So I developed um, a all-consuming obsession with climate change and which, uh, which I don't think I actually explained in the show, but basically came from a feeling of guilt towards having children, that I felt guilty that I wouldn't be a good enough mother or be able to give them a good enough life and that anxiety and guilt and worry and fear and everything else manifested itself in a total belief that the world was going to be over before my children would have a chance to enjoy the planet. Um, so technically, the the labels I got, uh, they're not as good as yours. I just got depression. Uh, no comparison. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not TK Maxx here that we're yeah. talking about. <laughs> You've got the Dutchie and Gabbana's. I've got the <laughs> I've got Topshop. Um, no, I got... I got depression and generalised anxiety disorder. So the inability to switch off my cyclical worries um, were the two that that really I've been dealing with. And was this the first time that you were diagnosed with these? 
I think it's the first time I feel like I've formally been given, certainly for GAD, yes. For depression, I have been in and out of various doctors dealing with depression and symptoms of depression, like eating disorders, since I was about 16. And I think as a teenager, I was offered antidepressants um, and didn't take them. But this is the first time I think I've happily taken the diagnosis and gone, oh, good, that's what this is. Instead of, I think as a teenager, they said, you've got depression. And I went, no, I don't want to have that, thank you. So I'll just pretend you haven't said that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, I, I think when I was first thrown these labels, at the, at the first time I was ever told any diagnosis, I was like... I I want I wanted that to be my identity. That was actually something I threw myself too into it in right. a weird way. Um, but there's other things that maybe I didn't want to address, and and even there's a way of there's a way of grabbing onto a label too much, and then yeah. not actually addressing how to deal with it or, or manage it or get better from it. Oh, totally. Yeah. So with um your depression um. We have got our lovely people at Rethink Mental Illness. They've provided us with some information about what depression is in case anyone out there um, thinks they might have depression. Uh, Rethink say that uh, depression is a fairly common illness affecting about one in ten people at some point during their life. Not to minimise your experience. No, no, no. For goodness sake, (laughs) It affects men and women, young and old. Depression is a long-lasting low mood disorder. It affects your ability to do everyday things, feel pleasure or take interest in activities. Symptoms include low mood, feeling sad, irritable or angry, having less energy to do certain things, losing interest or enjoyment in activities you used to enjoy, loss of concentration, becoming tired more easily, disturbed sleep and losing your appetite, feeling guilty or worthless and you can have thoughts of self-harm or suicide. Does that ring true to you? Yeah. I I think what's difficult with depression and something that I struggled with all the way through the therapy long after getting the diagnosis was that if you... I'm not destructive. So when my life fell apart, I didn't drink or stop going to work or tear a new one out of my husband every other day or trash my relationships. I just got on with my life feeling awful and quietly wondering if I was going to carry on with it. And I think when you're like that and you hear that list you think, well, sometimes that's me and sometimes that's not me. So I probably don't have that because if I had that, I definitely know, wouldn't I? Like if I had that long list, I definitely know. And I think with my experience of depression, it took me a long time to accept that just because that isn't who I am all the time, that's okay. That's part of the problem with this disease that there would be days where I'd turn up to my therapy session and I'd be crying in the morning before my session, feeling guilty because I wasn't sad enough to feel like I felt I warranted the therapy session that day. And then I'd sort of be sat there thinking, well, that's probably... The fact that you're this worked up over that is probably a sign, babe, that you are meant to be going <laughs> to these therapy sessions. But you, you don't get depression and then not everybody gets it and falls in bed for three weeks and doesn't get out of it and never eats anything. Some people get it and can perfectly fine function in a meeting or for me at a gig. I I love going to gigs and I'll switch everything off and walk on that stage and do it and then get in the car and think, cool, I can't feel anything. 
at all until somebody makes me switch it on because I'm too embarrassed not to. And that's just as valid as all the other variations of the symptoms that appear, I think. It's amazing how functioning you can be, even though you're very, very unwell when it comes to mental illness. It's it's unlike so many other illnesses where you really can just put it in a box sometimes, or at least I can, that's my experience. And you mentioned going on stage and going to gigs and having those in your diary. Um, What made you want to write this show um, other than the Edinburgh Fringe was coming up, and you had you had a, you wanted to do a show at the Edinburgh Fringe. I think I wanted to do this show because I wanted to I wanted to be genuinely funny about it. I really love stand up, and I think particularly because this big change in my life happened around the idea of having babies and not being able to have babies. That, to me, has always been such a sticky subject and something that makes the room go eggy. If you ever talk to somebody that's struggling to have kids, nobody knows what to say. And the whole thing is so sodding awkward. And I think I wanted to be able to really make an upbeat, unashamedly open, funny stand-up comedy show about it. I wanted it to be jokes throughout the whole thing, as well as being totally honest which it really was like I was I was I loved the show and I, I remember sitting right at the back just so because I know that you know me so yeah <laughs> seeing someone you know is really weird when you're on stage and I was laughing but I had all the feels as well like, I, I like shows like that where you're really it's you're feeling so much at the same time as laughing because that's yeah. for me where comedy it can actually help help with mental health so 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 beautifully that you can at once be laughing and feeling. Absolutely. I think what I desperately didn't want was a load of people coming to this show to nod and agree with me. I wanted people to come and be laughing at sex jokes and jokes that would fit in other shows. You know, there there are jokes in there that would work. There's observation in there. And then there's some really quite in-depth jokes about about feeling suicidal and about taking antidepressants and about the way people treat you when you're on antidepressants and the way therapy makes you feel and the way you feel when you've been trying for a baby for two years and you know you're not supposed to be this upset about it because you've got a career and it's 2018 and you're an independent woman and babies aren't everything but at the same time every month it kills you when you're not pregnant. Like, I think I just wanted a little space in that little room and I think with Edinburgh like you'll know this you know what room you're going to be in you know what that space is going to feel like and you go cool I had a little tiny 50 seater room this year and I thought I can turn that room into just a real little box of of ideas and games and silly things that that can really have some breathing space in that room that are maybe too delicate to do in other places but in there we can properly get them out and have a laugh at them and did, um, did it help you with your with the writing of the show and the performing of the show? How did that tie in with your experience of your conditions? I absolutely hated writing it. I have never felt worse than writing that show. Really? What was what was it so difficult? Because every time I had to rewrite the show, I had to pull apart everything I'd gone through again. And I felt alternating between cheap for using this for a show that might get slated or nobody might come or it will get a mediocre review. And I've used something that was 
the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life. I, I alternated between that to feeling over the moon about the writing and being so excited about it. And then and then it doesn't matter how good the show is, you preview it, you take it out and you put it out in its first instance to a room full of bemused people going, what on earth is this? And some bits go really well, some bits go badly and some bits are mediocre. And then you take the recording and the script and you pull it apart again which when I'm normally doing a show, I do that. And that's a bash to the ego because you always want to stand up and have a perfect show. But with this one, I'd pull a bit apart and go, right, that joke didn't work. So what else is in this subject that could go in that could be a better thing? And I'd have to sit there and go, well, what else do I think about climate change or the way this has affected my marriage or whether or not I'm going to get kids or how I feel or what people do? And I had to just keep rehashing it and and it was for something that felt as superficial as a show. And so I felt terrible and excited and embarrassed and everything all through that process. And then I got to about two weeks before the festival and I thought, oh, now I just want to be doing it every day. And from the second I got up to the festival, I felt, all right about it because by then the show was set and it was what it was and I was just doing it every day and I didn't have to keep like taking it apart and looking at all the separate components I could turn it into something other than than the nitty-gritty of the reality so it was all still true but I had polished it to give myself a bit of distance from it yeah it becomes it becomes something separate a separate entity to yeah. you so with you, you've been working in comedy for many, many years. How many years have you been in comedy? Um, must be just about nine-ish since I first dipped my toe. Nine, maybe ten. And how many years have you been in the mental health world? Oh, I think I must have been about 15, 16, because I very much linked it to my grandmother passing away. And that was the first time I fell into uh, a bout of not eating and discovered self-harm and didn't understand my mood. So I think I kind of hit... hit it's, it's a pretty typical story, really. I think my grandma died. I moved from secondary school to college. My sister had a big change in her life that affected me. And you're in the middle of that hormone maelstrom of being 16. And the whole thing collided. And that was the first time I went into therapy. I had some therapy through my college... Um, and that is the first point where I recognised really that I didn't deal with my moods as seamlessly as other people seemed to. Mm. It always was bizarre to me how other people seemed to just ride out these their their moods, and it just wouldn't. They didn't seem to get as affected as I did, and I'd be there, kind of every little thing totally that happened would just throw me off course. Yeah. And you'd think, like, is this me? Am I just a bit pathetic? Do I just not deal with things well? Or is there something... Like, the thing that used to really annoy me... Well, that still annoys me about my body is that my body gets the emotion before my brain knows what it's about. So I feel a bit sick and cry and trembly and cold and panicky. And I'm sat there thinking, well, I think I'm fine. I really can't think why I feel like this 
And then my brain starts trying to find what it is. So going, are you sad about this? This is pretty bad. <laughs> so then you're just sort of doing a generation game of terrible things going past on a conveyor belt going, maybe it's this. <laughs> and so by the time you finish doing that, you've gone, well, now I still don't know what that original physiological reaction was. But now I've got a hop at 25 different things that I also feel and some, weird about. Sometimes I would sit there and I would I would tell myself this story. I'd, I'd create the drama in my head. Not not actually, not in a, oh, I'm addicted to drama, I'm a drama queen kind of way, but in a, I need a reason for why my body is feeling this yeah. way, why I'm feeling either ridiculously stressed or and anxious and like something, like in real physical danger, or I'm feeling like I, I can't move my feet because and and that question of what caused it, what what why do I feel this way? Sometimes I I can't I I still find it difficult to just say do you know what maybe there's there's no real reason maybe yeah. it's just physical chemistry yeah um when what do you think was the first time that you found something that helped you and what was the first thing that helped you manage your mental health conditions. Oh, that's a really good question. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good acceptance of a compliment. <laughs> um, I liked the day I didn't want the drama anymore. Mm. I liked not choosing to stay in whatever feeling had enveloped me. Um, for a really long time when that moroseness came over and that that stagnation, I would bury myself into that as hard as I could and wallow as much as I could because that's the way everything's pulling you. So you go with the instinct. And then I don't know when it was. I couldn't even put a vague year on it. But there was this recognition that actually this is really ruining things. And I would like to pull the other way if I can and so starting like a little mechanical checklist of going right this is kicking in a bit first of all I'm going to eat a little something to check that it's not low blood sugar that's doing some of the pulling then I'm going to go outside and I'm going to move around even just a slow walk with headphones in and then I'm going to contact someone and I'm going to make a conversation that I can't get out of because my instinct is to either comfort eat terrible stuff or starve myself to sit in the dark, not talk to anybody and stay very quiet. So if I can push away from those three magnets, then I've got a chance of not letting this completely envelop me every time. It takes a lot of effort to even have so to be aware of that though. Yeah. Oh, kind of have be above yourself, kind of constantly hovering above your own yeah. behaviour and yeah. go, oh, hang on, maybe I'm not doing yeah. what I could be doing. Yeah. Um, my therapist used to, my therapist says, yeah. uh, it's my favourite phrase, um, HALT, that that's the acronym that we I always use of, if I'm struggling, am I hungry, am I angry, am I lonely, am I tired? Yes. And that's so many of the things that you just mentioned there, of the loneliness especially. Um, nowadays, we can be on stage, you and I, and, and surrounded by people, but actually extremely alone. Yeah. Was there anyone in particular, uh, any one person who has helped you along your journey? I think a lot of people. I've been in extremely lucky um, with the people that are around me. Um, 
my family have always been exceptionally patient and loving and understanding and have worked really hard to understand the differences, you know, that are there. Um, what have they done? Um, have they sent you texts or um, have they done some reading up of your conditions? Or They've just kind of let me carry on being me and bring the bits of it that I wanted to into our relationships and to not chase up on the rest of it if I'm not bringing it up, which is nice. My older sister in particular was really one of the first people to help me accept that I needed help this time. Um, I think I'm lucky there's a lot of understanding about mental health in our family because so, a lot of my family members have various sort of uh, ends of the spectrum dealings with it. So that acceptance has always been there. Um, and then my husband has been brilliant. I think one of the best things that he's ever done really is to not really understand it at all but accept that whatever I'm saying I'm honest about and that I think is amazing because he doesn't get it he doesn't feel the same as me he doesn't have the same even a whiff of the same mental health problems that I have but he just kind of goes okay if that's what it is that's what it is cool and I think because he doesn't have that tendency to pull into any of this he doesn't let me get away with things if I'm putting it on. And he also doesn't push me when there's no point pushing me. My best friend when I was a teenager, um, he uh, he used to never... I always felt like he, he would see me and not my condition, mm. no matter what physical state I was in, whether that was severely underweight or severely depressed or severely overweight. He just saw me and cared about how... Yeah. I was which is scared most of the time yeah um, I think you need that with people they're like oh, um, sorry if this is an overshare and sorry Tom if you listen to this and wish Tom's I hadn't told lovely, me that's my husband partner. <laughs> but like I like that I can be sat watching TV with Tom something weird will happen and I will be in tears and he won't make a big thing of it there's no need to pause the TV he'll go cool this will come and go, and then within the next hour we'll be having sex. And I can still be sexy to him, even though I was crying over something ridiculous 25 minutes ago and in another hour we'll be out with his parents. He doesn't need every fleeting emotion that's going to flick across my radar to be a stop-the-world moment. He will stop the world for me if I need him to and we'll deal with it, and he's got endless patience for that somehow but he gets that I am not always the best at controlling things and that that sometimes crying is the best solution to an emotion rather than a symptom that's there's a um, mind uh, the mental health charity uh, did a big campaign a couple of years ago about how crying is a way of dealing with anxiety. It's, yeah. it's one of the simplest <laughs> ways of alleviating anxiety is just having a really good cry. Yeah. Which really, I, I, somebody recently, I came, off, I came off stage and went for drinks with, with um, the audience because that's what I do. <laughs> that's how I have a social life nowadays. And um, there was a lady I was chatting to and she's so lovely. And um, she said she said such a lovely thing to me about the show that I, and I was tired and post 
Edinburgh yeah. Fringe started welling up and she said, oh, um, think about a fire extinguisher. That was the best thing that I was ever told was to think about a fire extinguisher. That will mean that you won't cry. And I stood there thinking... But I, but I want to yeah. cry. I really need to have a really good cry. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder whether maybe people say don't cry because they're not comfortable. They're not able to hear to see somebody else cry. We, yeah. I, wouldn't it be lovely if we lived in a in a world where we could just be comfortable with each other crying whenever we needed to? Totally. But I mean, I can see why. I mean, crying as an evolutionary thing has developed as a to show your uncomfortableness in in a certain sense, and as a baby. You're born knowing how to cry to get help. So we are programmed right down to the DNA to react to somebody crying. Um, but I think, yeah, I agree. I just, I think crying is like sneezing or having an orgasm. You've got to get that release out. And then crying does that sometimes. You have to let people let it out. Um, what is the one best thing, the best thing that your mental health uh, conditions, mental health conditions have taught you the, the best positive is there one lesson is there one aspect to your personality that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't had these conditions up until last year when everything fell apart I wouldn't no there wouldn't have been anything having come out the other side of genuinely having no idea how to live my life and whether or not I wanted to any second I'm not there, I am so grateful to not be there. I remember lying on the spare bed in our office room and Tom was getting ready to go away for some gigs and I was lying in a towel because I'd had a shower, looking at him and thinking, I can't remember how to have our life and I love you so much, but... None of this feels real. The whole thing feels like a weird set-up version of my life and I can't remember how to do the things we used to do and I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to let you have a good life and keep me in it because I can't do it anymore. And I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to drag Tom down and I didn't know how to let him carry on and that sticks in my head as being rock bottom of looking at this man and thinking, I will just lie here in the corner, marry somebody else, move her into this house, have a life with her, and I will be happy to just lie here and watch you be happy. That's all I want. And any second I'm not there, I am so grateful and nothing nothing is a problem. So the fact that you've experienced that amount of darkness yeah. means that you're grateful for any amount of light. Yeah, because I get what people mean now by enjoy every day as it comes. And I still don't do that. It's not <laughs> like I'm out there paragliding and not wasting days you watching already. Parks and Rec for the ninth time. Inspirational meme of you watching Parks <laughs> yeah. and Rec on the sofa. I still day to day. My life has gone back to pretty much what it was beforehand. I just appreciate feeling neutral as being better than neutral. Because now I know that numb isn't neutral, numb is awful, and there's a place worse than numb. And so just having a vague day now feels delicious because, cool, it was another lovely day that was just a day 
and I don't feel any pressure to make every day be something. Like, I think I used to get really up in my head that I was wasting my life because all I'm doing is comedy and comedy is it kind of irrelevant and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And then I thought, but actually, 99% of jobs on the planet are irrelevant if you boil them down to what they are. And one of the things I love about comedy is that you can be the biggest comedy star of a generation and in 40 years you're a footnote because comedy never stays hilarious. Look at Charlie Chaplin or the huge names or even people from the 80s that were huge then, we look at them now and they're not quite what they were. That's the beauty of comedy is that there's no legacy with it. And now I kind of appreciate not trying to make every day something it didn't need to be. Just getting on with every day is lovely. Next up on the Positive Mental Attitude podcast, we have a very special little segment. I have a friend called Alex Cheney who I met on Twitter a few years ago and he has acute anxiety disorder. So I took him on, as you naturally would, a bus because our lovely sponsors at Stagecoach said, Juliet, could you please do something on a bus? And I said, sure, I'll drag somebody who has experienced agoraphobia out onto public transport. So here's Alex and I having a very brief chat on a bus. I'm in Cambridge now, which is where I actually grew up with the lovely Alex Cheney, and we are going to be getting on the bus and going for a little journey and little chat as well, which is very exciting. Um, Alex, because you, you have a history of anxiety disorder. Yes. So we're going to chat a little bit about that, and, um, and public transport was something that was a bit of a struggle for you major struggle major struggle yeah this is a big deal for you today uh not so much now but sort of 18 months ago it would have been can you paint the picture of what you were like 18 months ago so 18 months ago it was a well it was a a three-year period really um that started in my second year of uni um where um I had a relapse of my mental health and a major relapse which got to a point where I was from being in halls and doing all, all of that um, and you being completing the first year of uni um, that I basically became housebound virtually again. Um, was that a gradual thing? It was quite sudden. Um, over a six month period really it started um, so there was um, a change in my support worker at uni and also a few of us who I'd made friends with who were going to move into a flat and that sort of fell through and um, my best friend who I was in uni with he didn't know if he was going to be able to find accommodation so that sort of was the start of it and but my anxiety was sort of flaring up as well it was I think the more I was getting involved in labour stuff like I went to Edinburgh I went to Glasgow for a labour students event in August in that August and that was particularly difficult even though I was achieving it um what was difficult about it I think because I just never done anything like it before and it was so out of my depth really um and I just didn't have provision really in place to sort of be in a place to be doing it and coping. 
So was it too much too soon? I think so. I think I just, instead of gradually building stuff up, I think I just kind of went in head first to the second year of uni, quite anxious, but coping. And then sort of, I got this, what it was a skin condition in the end, but what the doctors didn't know, it was something like a boil basically on my bum. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah, it was real fun. Um, so I was on, I think it was about eight antibiotics in the end they tried. It was really quite a serious bum boil. Yeah, and it got to a point like I couldn't sit down at some points and I had to use a special cushion and everything because it was so uncomfortable. So the physical pain kind of pushed the anxiety disorder further, do you yeah. think? Yeah, uh, it, it, so it escalated things quite rapidly. I've heard that's actually, I think quite a few people that I've spoken to, they sometimes a physical health issue can be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back in a way that, that yeah. that's what causes a relapse or uh, it's when you're, when you physically you're more run down, mm. therefore you don't have the mental energy to, to keep dealing with whatever it, mental health disorder is that you're managing. Yeah. Cause it Absolutely. takes a lot of effort yeah. to manage it constantly. Yeah. Uh, and I have OCD fears around getting ill and sort of things like that, and it's quite a major thing. So, I mean, I have I have OCD as well, as you know. <laughs> I have obsessive compulsive disorder. If anyone doesn't know what OCD stands for, that's what it is. For, for different people, OCD can can manifest in different ways. Yeah. Some people it's ritualistic behaviour. Some people it's um, it's cleanliness or dirt, uh, germs. Um, cleaning uh, a lot. Uh, for some people, it's organisation or um, or superstitious magical thinking, as it's called in the therapy world. Um, what was your specific um, experience of OCD? It was germs related, germs. and obviously, even though, like, because I was having to go to the doctors quite a lot. Every time I was going to the doctors, that my fear of the germs and being around people ill, like, it just escalated. How did that lead? you to not being able to leave the house? It escalated my anxiety, my depression, my OCD, my phobias to a point where in the January and February I then had exams um, at uni and I didn't cope and I was starting to miss classes. I still had the support workers but um, it just was getting too much and I, I just couldn't cope and by March I had to come home and couldn't leave the house. When I always struggle when I'm trying to explain to people when I say I, I, I can't do this because yeah. I'm, I'm a great believer in positive thinking mm. uh, this whole podcast is called Positive Mental mm. Attitudes um, and I, I do think that focusing on, on the positive aspects of life is the only way that I can get through and focusing on what I'm grateful for. And when and when I say I can't do something, I, like, you know, a child says I can't do something and, and you say, oh, yes, you can. It's, it's mind over matter whether you can or you can't. Uh, so Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you can't, either way, you're right. And I, I always believe in that apart from when it comes to this block that eventually I get to sometimes with specifically my anxiety disorder that there's there's just a, I can't I can't I can't leave the house it's not a positive mental attitude thing it's a 
the most positive thing I can do for me to look after myself right now is to, to not to not leave the house to to, to stay safe mm. um, and get a different type of help now that's that maybe not might not be mentally healthy but it is a survival mechanism thanks so much to Alex for joining me that is just a small snippet of a much longer chat that we had and there'll be more from Alex in next week's episode Now we come to a feature called Solution of the Episode, which is a title we are reluctantly sticking to. (laughs) Here we read out something my Twitter followers say has helped them the most in their mental health journey. Uh, I mean, they they say this, they they could be lying, I don't know, uh, but they don't seem to be the sort of deceptive type, so we're going to trust them for now. Now, this uh, solution uh, of this episode is medication. Uh, So a lot of people on Twitter said that medication helped them. Uh, Laura, have you experienced uh, medication and has that yeah. has it helped you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> what what have you been on? Sertraline. And what type what is that? What type um, is that? What is it? Do you know what I don't know? Hmm. Uh it's an antidepressant. I was on quite a low dose, I believe. Uh and I took that for about a year. So I've I've tried medication in the past. I've been through different uh, periods where I I felt like I really needed something chemically different mm. and nothing I was doing was making any any difference. Um, and I've had different experiences of it. So it was Prozac um, was my first when I was 16 and that was a bit too much too young right. um, for me. Uh, but I think that that was a long time ago and nowadays they, they won't prescribe that amount for that young uh, child. Um, but I've also had anti um, anti anxiety meds and mm. uh, other SSRIs, and um, nowadays I'm not on anything personally right now. But I always know that it's there. Oh. And, uh, Rethink Mental Illness have said officially they've given me a little statement about um, whether this helps or not, and they say uh, depending on the type of mental health problem you have, medication can be helpful for some, even life saving. Your doctor who is prescribing medication should always explain the benefits risks and side effects to you and you should also get regular reviews to track how it's going some medication like antipsychotics can have serious side effects like extreme weight gain it's important that your doctor discusses this with you and you are clear about how to mitigate these effects uh, as they could potentially cause additional problems like diabetes i think always with side effects though it's it's important to be aware of them but they don't always affect everybody yeah. like when i came off the pill but everyone was saying oh you're gonna have weight gain and spots yeah. and all sorts and you look at the side happens. effects that they list on the hormonal pill mm. and girls just get funneled onto that and then the second you talk about possibly trying antidepressants somebody will tell you they'll make you a zombie and they'll make you put on weight for me antidepressants you hit the nail on the head of knowing they're in the background knowing they're there I when I went in was frog marched in uh in 2016 to get help they said do you want antidepressants and I said no obviously I don't, I don't want pills I don't want the of course uh I'll take the therapy thank you and they said cool you're on a list see you in 6 months and I went oh I can't I can't I can't carry on like this for six months with no help no no thank you I'll take the pills thanks very much and I started taking them and I felt violently sick for about a week um for about four to five hours after taking the pill I would feel like I was going to throw up for about a week and then just perfection 
I don't know if I got lucky or I assume it wasn't luck. It was a doctor's medical knowledge and understanding the situation got me on the right ones. And they just took away a layer of thoughts that weren't meant to ever be there. And it was bliss. And I took them for a long time and then came off them when I was coming to the end of my therapy so that I could experience some therapy without them there in case uh, they were blocking something that I needed to get help with. So I wanted to have... Does that make sense? Absolutely. I just wanted the end of the therapy session block that I had then to be uh, off stabilisers. Yes. Yeah. Just, just to make sure that there was nothing lurking that I'd then come off them and all these thoughts had come rushing back and I wouldn't have the therapist there. I think the thing that I missed out of the medication... Um, experience when I was younger when I was first put on them was the idea that it was a conversation that I needed to have with my doctor yeah. that it was an ongoing dialogue the experience of being on whatever medication it was I needed to let them know what it, how I was getting on with it I just thought I would go away take it like any other pill you know like a paracetamol you don't tell people oh by the way my headache's gone it's I I I think therefore I experienced quite a few side effects that actually I, I found quite scary mm. um but they I think I had for antidepressants. I had some jitters, like physical tremors, um, more suicidal thoughts at the at the time. But um, since then, I've now realised that I can have that conversation, and I've been given um, some amazing uh, medication. My my the latest anti anxiety medication that I was given was amazing. I think it affected my bloodstream rather than my body chemistry right. or something. It was one that I could take. I didn't have to take every day. I could take okay. it when I knew I was going to struggle with a specific episode of something. So it was like a an, a period of time that I it was short term kind of yeah. uh, medication. I really loved it, but having that conversation and that dialogue about the the dosage as well as the type of medication. Um, I think the last time I spoke to my doctor, they also said, oh, you could have it in a pipette form rather than a pill huh. form. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Now, um, Laura, before you came on the podcast. I asked you uh, what your best solutions, your most positive solutions, things that have helped you the most with your mental health. And you said getting hobbies, board games, gardening and a personal trainer. Yeah. And I turned to Rethink and said, uh, Rethink Mental Illness, could you tell me whether she's correct? How can this, can this help people? <laughs> and they said, Laura is definitely correct. Uh, they said that spending time in nature, which was part yeah. of gardening for you, um, can benefit both your mental and physical well-being. For example, doing things like growing food or exercising outdoors can have lots of positive effects, um, like improving your mood, reducing stress and improving your fitness levels. Do you have you found that? Yeah. I think for me, one of the big things I had to cope with was realising I'd boiled my life purely down to the necessities and filled it with stuff that took up my time and didn't actually make me feel anything. All of the things in my diary were just things to be ticked off. And I got to a point where I went, right, I'm not interested in films or... um all these things that other people do for pleasure. I've got to find the things that actually give me pleasure. And I wonder how often people do that, actually look at the hobbies and social events and occasions and things in their diary and just take out everything that they are not actively thrilled about going to. So I got myself an allotment and I said to myself, if you don't like it, we're not feeling obligated to do this. We're going to do it for six months. If we like it, it stays. If not, it's gone I took up Dungeons and Dragons 
uh, which is a sort of creative role-playing game and I started playing that and again I thought if I don't like this I'm not leaving it in just because I've committed a bit to it I, it is okay to stop doing things that you're not interested in your mum's lesson about sticking with the violin because you've started playing it now doesn't exist what is the point and uh yeah I, I started to get fit I started to see a trainer because my body image annoyingly has a huge effect on my mood and I hate that I don't believe that what weight I am should affect me, but it does. So I decided to take control of it. And uh, on the exercise part, uh, Rethink Mental Illness say that physical activity is thought to cause chemical changes in the brain, which can help to positively change our mood. Some scientists think that being active can improve well-being because it brings about a sense of greater self-esteem, self-control and the ability to rise to a challenge. So uh, those are some positive solutions of the episode uh, mm. quick fire questions before we wrap up the episode for you Laura uh, do you mind words like crazy mad harpy psycho happy pills do those things get your goat no I love them you love them good oh, honestly writing the show and going to use the words mental and crazy and batshit and stuff like that and then like having people go I don't know if that's the right terminology and go it's, it's my thing I'll call it what I want yep, reclaiming it yeah 100% and uh also, do you like talking about mental illness? Because if you don't, then I'm really sorry for inviting you on the show. <laughs> I do. I like talking about it like this. I don't like doing it in hushed tones. No, we've got to be loud and proud and yep. happy and positive. Now, Laura has been an amazing guest on today's show. Uh, she has received the following awards and nominations. Here's a bit more about her. She is the Comedian's Choice Award winner 2018 for Best Performer at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, the Chortle Best Compare nominee in 2016, 2017 and 18. Her little head is bowing. <laughs> down like oh don't don't give me all these nice things Julia uh, she's the Amused Moose Comedy Award nominee Best Comedy Show 2016 and 2018 congratulations and the Comics Comic Best MC winner 2017 Laura it's obvious that people really need to get to see you in a show if we wanted to get in touch with you about where you're performing next how can we do that on social media or websites uh, yeah um, you can follow me on Twitter I'm at Laura Lex uh, on Twitter that is all comedy stuff if you're interested in me as a person and my background and my hobbies I'm on Instagram at Lex Laura um, my website www.lauralex.co.uk has all of my gigs on it and you can subscribe if you want to get a vaguely monthly newsletter that's actually more like every three months that's the same as me my, my, my <laughs> newsletter as well um, and I love following Laura on Instagram because I get to see pictures of her beautiful vegetables and yes. fruits that she grows and her I specifically do nothing to do with my career on Instagram that I is my it. place where I'm not a comedian I actually find Laura's Instagram helps my mental health just <laughs> looking at calming images of gardens uh, Laura Lex thank you so much for joining us thank today you. and well done thank you thank you if you want any further help then go to Rethink Mental Illness at www.rethink.org uh, they may not have as many jokes as we do but they do have facts which are pretty useful in my opinion now this episode could not have happened without the help of our sponsor Stagecoach if you've ever been travelling via Stagecoach and experienced good mental health that's nothing to do with us but Stagecoach clearly care about it, so maybe they did have a hand in it. They're helping us anyway, so I'm sure that they're trying to give you a better mental health experience. Now, they might be. I don't want to speak for them. It just feels unlikely uh, that they don't want to give you bad mental health. Uh, so my favourite section of the uh, podcast is the next bit, which is the roundup, the positive thing. That's the best title I could come up with, is positive thing, uh, where I tell you something positive that I have learned. I could happily spend the whole of the rest of my life researching this feature. So, uh, Laura, did you know that flamingos... 
a group of flamingos is called a flamboyance. Mm. A group of pugs is called a grumble. A group of kittens is called a kindle. A group of hedgehogs is a prickle. A group of cats is a claudia. And a group of rabbits is a fluffle. Oh, oh, I do like that, yeah. Also, uh, otters have a special pocket in their skin where they can carry their favourite rock. <laughs> and cows have best friends. If they don't hang out with them, they get sad. I don't know how we know these things, but we do. Uh, So thank you very much to our sponsors, Stagecoach, Rethink Mental Illness and our guest, Laura Lex. This show is presented by me, Juliet Burton, and was written by Juliet Burton and Liam Byrne. Thanks go to Andy Leek, Frankie Lowe and everyone at Alchemy Studios. And thank you for listening. So do get in touch with us with your uh, positive solutions. If you've got something that you think I've missed, uh, what one thing has helped you the most with your mental health conditions or combination of positive solutions? Uh, What things would you put in your little toolbox to help you manage your mental health? Get in touch with me, please, at Juliet Burton. And that's on Twitter. On Instagram, you can find me, Juliet underscore Burton. On Facebook, it's Juliet Burton, writer, performer. And on uh, my website as well, www.julietburton.co.uk. So do get in touch with us. And also, if you fancy, uh, you can tweet this lovely podcast at Cast Positive. 